Hey, I'm Curious City reporter Monica Eng. Like a lot of Chicago public school students, Gwen Casey had to finish her senior year totally online. She said that was hard, but she also vaguely remembered that this wasn't the first time Chicago kids had to do remote learning. Gwen recalled that it actually happened here a long time ago, but over the radio. And it had something to do with a polio epidemic. I just remember coming upon an article that had mentioned WBEZ starting as an educational program and um, being a CPS student and also, of course, like growing up with WBEZ on almost 24-7 in our kitchen. It just felt like a cool origin story that they would have started together so many years ago. Gwen's right. That experiment with remote learning 80 years ago during another disease epidemic, it led to the creation of WBEZ, the very station I'm recording this episode for. So Gwen wanted to know more about how WBEZ got started and how that remote teaching sounded. Like, are there some old recordings? If there are any still in existence, that'd be really cool to hear. (laughs) You mean recordings like this? The Radio Council of the Chicago Public Schools presents Monuments to Men. Yep, we found some. Stage one, you'll be an egg, friend. And after three more changes, it's a butterfly. I don't want to be. And now... Happy words and carefree music. Well, let me pour this milk and I'll get Mr. O'Leary to fill your trough. Open in your window level E up is on the air. Gwen also wanted to know how WBEZ went from a teaching station to the new station it is today. The city housing department shifted to COVID response and gave out money and a lottery to people like Henderson. So I dug way into that history and found some fascinating answers, along with rare recordings of old WBEZ education programs and even a former host. She's now 96 years old, and she made one of our most popular shows, a show about fairy tales. Every Friday morning, I do that show, and I rehearsed it at home. And uh, you won't believe this, but I cry at fairy tales. That's coming up. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. In 1937, the country was facing another terrible epidemic, polio. In the late summer, Chicago saw more than 100 cases, mostly in kids. So health authorities shut down the schools. The move was controversial. But keep in mind that back then there was no cure for polio. And it could leave kids disabled or paralyzed. And as former WBEZ program director Ken Davis notes, with schools shut... There was no way to reach students. You know, there was no Zoom in 1937. So there was a thing called the Radio Council that was set up. This Chicago Radio Council, they put together programs on history, math, science and reading. And they asked commercial radio stations to air them for kids at home. Local newspapers even helped by printing daily radio class schedules. So you'd 
to have a guide that would show you eighth grade geography will be on WGN at such and such a time. In less than a month, the polio cases dropped, schools reopened, and kids came back to the classroom. But this short experiment in remote education was considered a great success. It gained national attention and gave some people big ideas. When that was over... There was a a sense that, hey, you know, maybe there's a place for this, this kind of this educational radio. What that meant was bringing radio lessons into the classroom. A few other cities were also trying it. It was a way for teachers to bring in guest speakers and storytellers their students might not otherwise get to hear. Kind of like those days when your teacher would put on a film instead of teaching. But to bring that content to the classrooms, the Board of Education still had to rely on commercial radio stations donating free airtime. And that meant the board didn't have a ton of control over when the stations would actually air the lessons. So if they needed third grade math at 11, there was no guarantee that would happen. But by the 1940s, new federal rules came down that would change all that. That's according to Bill Bianchi, who wrote a book on radio-based education. The government finally set aside part of the FM band for educational purposes. So school boards could actually start their own radio stations for educational programming. And one of the first entities to start a station in the FM educational band was uh, WBEZ. So with studios built inside the Board of Education headquarters on LaSalle Street... WBZ went on the air on April 7, 1943, with instructional programming. That was former WBEZ operations director Claude Cunningham. And he notes that the station's origins were kind of baked into the call letters. Z didn't have any meaning to it, but the BE was Board of Ed. But even though the Board of Education now had its own station, that first year there was still a big problem. Initially, only a few classrooms had FM radio. But by 1944, the board had acquired a thousand newfangled gadgets, FM radios. And they gave them to its 360 schools. Most teachers wheeled them into their classrooms once a week to bolster lessons with radio plays, fairy tales, and lectures. Carol Nolan was a CPS student back then. And she described what it was like in her 1940s classroom. They'd bring in a great big black box to tune in the FM station. And uh, I remember, you know, like the singing song lady and Uncle Dan from Froggy Hollow would tell us stories every uh, afternoon. A lot of shows from this period were recorded on these big 16-inch acetate discs, most of which were destroyed or disappeared from WBZ. But something really cool happened. Our archivist, Justine Tobias, found a few discs framed as art on the wall at the WBEZ studios. And one day it dawned on her that, well, maybe these discs could actually still play. So she pulled them down to see if there was anything on them. The Radio Council of the Chicago Public Schools. And on those acetate discs emerged a character from WBEZ's past. I am Lady Makebelieve with another transcribed story. You are the boys and girls of the everywhere. Won't you come with me? It was one of those story time shows that was piped into classrooms in the 1940s. But even more amazing is that our archivist also found one of the actresses who played Lady Make Believe, still living in Chicago and active at 96 years old. 
I used to ride that bike all the time until I flew through the air with the greatest of ease. Her name is Marianne Hawksworth, and I went to visit her in her Lincoln Park yard a few weeks ago, with masks on, of course. And I asked her about her time doing the show. I loved it. Every Friday morning, I do that show. And I rehearsed it at home. And uh, you won't believe this, but I cry at fairy tales. <laughs> and I, I'd get all my crying done so that I wouldn't make a fool of myself. Hawksworth wasn't sure if she's the voice on this particular disc, but she said she loved doing the show because it touched so many kids. In fact, she could still recite the opening lines of the show by heart. I am Lady Make-Believe. You are the boys and girls of the everywhere. Won't you come with me to the magic land where all storybook characters become real and there's a favorite story for everyone? If you will, then we'll swing wide the gates of imagination and enter into 15 minutes of fun and frolic. And then we'd start this da 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 la da dee da 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 And then there was the famous sign-off that Hawksworth hadn't thought about for decades. Well, now the clock up on the wall tells me it's time for us to make our transcribed return to the land of make-believe and for you to return to the land of everywhere. Back to the everywhere. That means, now boys and girls, you go back to the everywhere and I'm going to go back to make-believe and mess things up. Lady Make-Believe was one of WBEZ's early shows, but they weren't all storytelling. During World War II, a lot of them were about science, math, social studies, and geography. Former staffer Claude Cunningham reads a mid-40s program schedule here. There were shows called Destination Unlimited. It came on on Mondays at 10.30 a.m. Before the Doctor Comes came on Monday at 10.45. Lest we forget... The programs lasted about 15 minutes each, and then teachers quizzed the class on stuff they'd just heard. The show's schedule was timed to fill up the school day from 9 to 3, Monday through Friday. At least one early study showed that kids who listened to the shows actually learned better. So with these early successes, station director George Jennings went further. He got students involved in making radio. Instead of just passively listening, kids got to take workshops in sound effects, performing, and engineering. And every Friday, top students came down to the station to compete in something called the Battle of the Books. Here's Bill Bianchi again. The curriculum for Battle of the Books is based on reading lists from Chicago Public Schools. And so they'd have teams from various schools that come to the station, and then they'd answer questions based on the books. And then there'd be a winner and quite a bit of publicity around that. The concept spread to schools across the nation, though not on the radio. And it's still around today. My own daughter competed in Battle of the Books when she was in grade school just a few years ago. Question six. In what story does the main character set out to kill the leader of a wild pack of dogs only to nurse it back to health after she wounds it? Island of the Blue Dolphins by Scott O'Dell. Correct. Make sure you're speaking up in that microphone. Question seven. In the 1950s, WBZ kept chugging with a lot of the same kinds of shows, like storytelling, history, and math. 
but they did at least try to dabble in updates for the modern teen. Tomorrow you're going to hear two people tell how difficult it is to get along with each other. They're a mother and her daughter. Well, my parents get rather shocked if I kiss a boy the first time I go out with him, and I don't uh, see much harm in it. Well, what are they afraid of? Oh, they're afraid that I'm mistaking sex for love. Well, you can see we're going to have some questions to settle. But by the 1960s, a lot of the content was feeling stale, both for the writers and the kids listening in class. Here's Deborah Levy, who talked to WBZ for an anniversary special. The program that I remember being forced to listen to was Uncle Dan. It was insufferable. It wasn't that it was radio, because I was listening to radio then. But this was um, just, it was something from another era. The program sounded old. By the 1970s, it seemed like something needed to change about that old programming. This was especially clear to Carol Nolan. Carol was the student we heard from earlier, the one who saw the teacher hauling in that big black FM radio box. She became a science teacher at CPS. And by 1971, she was appointed to head up WBEZ. And what she heard still playing on the broadcast the day she started her job, well, it kind of horrified her. I walked in, and um, WBEZ was on the air five hours a day, five days a week, 35 weeks out of the year. And uh, they were basically the same programs that I had listened to when I was this little kid in grammar school. That was not a good thing. So Nolan would end up transforming the station. But how did she do it? That's next. When Carol Nolan took over WBEZ in 1971, the lineup was... The singing song lady and old <laughs> Uncle Dan from Froggy Hollow and marching music. So Nolan declared a new era. She hired new teachers to help write, produce, and record radio shows that the kids of the 70s actually wanted to hear, shows with a little more life and entertainment value. One was called Science with the Count, hosted by teacher and ventriloquist Steve Hart, along with his partner, Craig Alton. There are four stages... To complete life's history. Stage one, you'll be an egg friend. And after three more changes, it's a butterfly I want to be. These shows sounded a lot more like Saturday morning cartoons, but it all had to be based on CPS curriculum. I asked Alton how it worked. Yeah, we would get the curriculum guide and we'd say, okay, this is the metamorphosis show. We would go ahead and figure out, okay, what's a funny concept for science? And the count and Igor was a standard thing where it was always going to be chaos and it was always going to be fast and funny. And so those two voices were able to do that. They were fun for the kids, but were they also fun to make? We had a gas with that stuff. I mean, really, it was because a lot of ways we always felt like we were getting away with something because they were so much fun. How could they be educational? Still, it was educational. And Alton said every episode had to be approved by several people at the Board of Ed. But by the early 70s, WBEZ had also joined up with a brand new network called National Public Radio. From National Public Radio in Washington, I'm Robert Conley with All Things Considered. And that affiliation came with some new requirements that included adding extra hours to the broadcast day. 
But Nolan didn't fill those hours with more teaching. Instead, she added music shows featuring folk and jazz. Eventually, she wanted more news, local and national. So in 1979, Nolan hired program director Ken Davis. First, Davis had a few tweaks to make to the schedule. It was still a hybrid of daytime educational shows in between NPR programs, plus all that music. And Davis says the contrast was a bit jarring for listeners. Morning edition would bump up at 9 o'clock into this crazy quilt patchwork of, of you know, 30-year-old classroom stuff. And it started with a 25-year-old recording of the national anthem. And marching music. And then the Pledge of Allegiance. That was every day at 9 o'clock. So I just suggested to Carol one day, how about if the machine that plays this breaks? And we're just unable to play it. And we just don't play it for a while and just see what happens. So Davis says they just stopped playing it. Yet, and of course, there was absolutely no reaction whatsoever because the idea that at the schools people were stopping and turning on the PA systems and the kids were marching around their desks and saying, I mean, come on, it's 1980, you know, it's like this is 81 even. So that's what happened. We just stopped it. And then a couple of a couple of principals about three or four months later wrote us letters saying, what happened to the Pledge of Allegiance? And we just said, oh, that machine broke. We'll send you a cassette so you can play it. And that was the end of that. By the early 80s, Davis had moved kids programming out of the school day and into slots after school and on Saturdays. But this time, kids were a big part of the actual shows again. One of the most popular shows was called Zoo Party. It aired every Saturday live from Lincoln Park Zoo, and it took calls from kids all over the country. Hello, James. Yeah. How are you today? How, how do... Yeah, good. Good. Mm-hmm. Do you have a question? Yeah. How did uh, Bigfoot rabbits uh, survive in the snow? How did Bigfoot rabbits... Yeah. Despite the success the of the show, yeah. Alton could see that educational programming was on its way out. And Davis said that was kind of what he was hired to do. My job was basically to get us past that. My job was to encroach upon it until it was gobbled up. So by late 1987, Davis called Alton into his office to say that the zoo party was over. And so a lot of us saw the writing on the wall that, you know, we had done something really, really good. that <laughs> It was no longer needed. And uh, it was heartbreaking to, to many of us who simply didn't have a life for the new station. By the late 80s, WBEZ embarked on its very last youth-oriented program. It aired on Saturday afternoons, and this time it was aimed at teens. The show was called Airplay. I absolutely never do one bit of work on Fridays or Saturdays because I've got to keep that time free just to keep my sanity. Yes. Best part is where you dance most of the evening. Yes. You talk to people you haven't seen for a while and you don't gossip. Airplay was bold and experimental, but audience research showed that it was actually listened to by adults, not kids. By late 1989, WBEZ ended its last teenage radio workshop, and the staff of Airplay put on their final show. 
For Airplay, this is Johanna Zorn. And that marked the end of almost 50 years of educational programming on WBEZ. About a year later, WBEZ broke entirely from the Board of Education and came under the ownership of a consortium called the WBEZ Alliance. As a side note, there were times over the years when WBEZ did occasionally return to its emergency remote learning roots. But this time, the emergencies were teacher strikes of the 70s and 80s. That's when all the school department heads came down to the station to teach on the air. Here's former WBEZ staffer Claude Cunningham again. They became instructors on radio. There was, there was one lady they named Dr. Dorothy Strong. She was the director of math. She would come on two times a day in the morning and the afternoon to do uh, elementary school math. But WBEZ hasn't completely left its educational roots. We may not be pumping programming into classrooms anymore, but over the last year, I've been visiting high school classrooms virtually to talk about curiosity stories that they've been listening to. Um, what do you find the most challenging about like creating these podcasts? I know there's many different like little steps you have to take. The students have been great, and many have even given us questions back that we may in turn use to create more lessons to bring to more Chicago classrooms. A quick note, while we were producing this story, actress Marianne Hawksworth, who played Lady Make-Believe, sadly passed away. Her friend told me that while she was at the hospital, she kept all the staff entertained by, what else, telling them fairy tales. Earlier in this episode, you heard archival interview tape from former WBEZ general manager Carol Nolan. Nolan passed away in 2012. Curious City is produced by Joe Dassault and edited by Alexandra Solomon. Maggie Civit is our digital and engagement producer. And Natalie Dahlia is our intern. Super special thanks this week to WBEZ archivist Justine Tobiash. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Monica Eng. Well, now the clock up on the wall tells me it's time for us to make our transcribed return to the land of make-believe and for you to return to the land of everywhere. Until next week, at this same time, until then, goodbye. Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Meantime, it was chaos today at the Chicago City Council. A Chicago cop with a controversial past is running for judge. Other times, you're looking for a deeper understanding of what's going on in the city. Wow, that's so... No one has asked me that question. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts or at wbez.org slash rundown. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.